Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are discussing a paper, it's actually a review, and it's titled Enhanced Understanding of Horse-Human Interactions to Optimize Welfare. It's by Katrina Murkies and Olivia Franson. Now, this the objective of this review is to highlight the current literature surrounding horse-human interaction through the horse's sensory capabilities, cognition, emotional states, emotional transfer, personality, and lastly, the attachment styles, which one episode we did talk about the attachment bonds of horses. Um, This review reveals the various ways horses read humans, such as by odors, posture, and vocal repertoire all of which affect the horse's interpretation of us. While it's truly difficult to know how a horse thinks and feels, paying attention to subtle behavioral signals can give us insight on how horses prefer humans to interact with them. And that is um, one of the reasons we thought this would be a good paper or a good review to kind of uh, talk about today. And we are on Spotify Live. So if anybody wants to join in, go ahead and join us. Um, The name of the room is Horse Human Interactions. Welcome, Kate. How are you? Hi, Nancy. Um, Thank you for picking this paper this week because it was really great. And it was really nice that it kind of drew in from other papers we've looked at in the past. So it was a good refresher on um, that research as well. But I think there was one sentence in this that I thought was really nice in the introduction that I kind of wanted to start off with by pointing out. And when they're talking kind of the background, you know, the introduction gives us a little bit more of an insight into the topic. They mentioned that humans believe in a bond with a horse. And regardless of what country a person comes from, how much money they make, their age, gender, discipline, or experience with horses, people regard their bonds with a horse in much the same way. And I just thought that was such a nice point, you know, that horses are so universal and there is that connection. You know, if you're into horses or you're in the equine industry, you can find that common thread anywhere you go and you can find clubs to join and you can find your people, you know, in any country. So I thought that was a really nice um, way to start off that whether we're using them for work or for sport, or, you know, we've mentioned before they get used in war and they're for people's livelihoods in a lot of countries, that bond is just so important. And there's still so much we don't know. Like we really don't understand how the horse thinks or feels. So it's great to get all the kinds of 
little tidbits of information we can from different research and draw that together to try and create a picture of what's happening, um, I guess, behind the scenes for the horse. Another really interesting thing that stood out to me too was that they were talking about the horse's capabilities to recognize emotional states in people. But there's a gap in the literature as to whether or not they're capable of empathizing with that emotion. So they might be able to understand that we're upset. Um, but I just thought it was a little bit funny that, oh, we don't know if they care or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, I also was so attracted to this because um, it emphasized that so often we look at conflict behaviors or more negative behaviors that the horse is having, and that's how we interpret the welfare state. However, this paper suggests that you look at more positive aspects indicative of good welfare. So when the balance of positive experiences outweighs the negative, then we can consider the animal as having a good life. And I thought that is such a great way to look at it is to point out the more positive things um, that you can observe in your horse and um, feel like, yep, it, it, we're giving this horse a good welfare state, a good life. I think that's so true because um, even when we think about, and we've mentioned before, some of the terminology we still use around horses and um, can be problematic, like the terms breaking a horse instead of, you know, training a horse. I think trying to create more positive interactions and using more positive terminology will lead into that too. And it has such an impact on welfare. And where we are using negative, and um, we, I know there are times where we have to utilize it, but where we are using um, negative reinforcements, we can start to put a stress on the animal too. And stress is obviously going to impinge welfare. But what was interesting in this paper too, and I think there's some papers that when you read them, it's almost like they're telling a story as you go through the paper. So it's so easy to follow um, and the information is so digestible and it is an open source. So if anyone wants to read this, definitely it's a great example of a paper to get stuck into but there is a German biologist and apologies in advance for my pronunciation but it's Jacob von Uxko I think uh, coined the term Umwelt and that was in the early 20th century yeah. and it refers to the perception of your environment by your own senses and your nervous system and in a nutshell the thought was that because it's guided by your senses and your nervous system, even two animals of the same species in the same environment can experience it quite differently. And like that rings true to people, certainly. Um, but it's interesting how that can also carry over into horses. And we've mentioned before horse personality playing a role in what kind of work they do or the training that we do with them. And I just thought that kind of ties in nicely to previous discussions we've had where the individual is really important to look at. And we're not just, you know, using a one size fits all approach. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, I really like the way they broke this down uh, first off into the equine senses and then into in the presence of humans. And then lastly, they did the personality and the traits and how if we implement all this and tie it up into a, a nice little package, it will help us in our training, but it will also keep us safer too. We can make those judgment calls when um, maybe we should back off a little bit or, or push through. So um, anyway, uh, do you want to go ahead and start with equine vision? And I know this will be a little bit of a um, repeat because we did that article or that episode on equine sensory abilities. So we're not going to cover everything under equine vision, but I thought it's always good to tell people we have better or tell tell people instead of horses, you know, we, <laughs> we have better daytime vision, but they have better nighttime vision. And I think as well, another um, great point is the colors they're able to distinguish. So horses are able to distinguish yeah. orange, yellow, blue, and green, but they've difficulty discerning the color red. Um, and that's, you know, always stood out to me because there are definitely um, quite famous show jumping competitions that are, I suppose, created using red coloring in the jumps and um, there's an Irish one particularly that is on in the Dublin horse show every year and it's a red and white brick wall but that's the first thing that kind of came to my mind so recent research has focused on the colors on jump course obstacles and found that white or blue ground lines and fluorescent yellow mid rails not only increase that visibility to the horse, but it then results in more successful jumping efforts. So if you are doing any groundwork, pole work, which is brilliant for horse fitness, um, just bear that in mind, you know, the visibility of those poles. And in bright daylight, as Nancy said, there are visibilities that, you know, it's not as strong as ours is at the same time. Yeah. And, and I thought another good point was that equipment or practices that limit or restrict the movement of the horse's head, it impacts how they can visually perceive their environment because they're constantly doing that laterality with their eyes. They can see left and right at the same time. So anytime you restrict that head movement, they see down better than they see up. So uh, you, we have to implement their um, makeup and how they're created into our training regimen so we don't um, affect that, affect their ability to learn and to pick up on what we want them to do. That's a great point. And we've definitely in the past talked about how um, restrictive equipment is, I guess, just detrimental. I mean, at the end of the day, we have a goal that we want to achieve with our horses alongside them as a team. And I think we do need to move towards being more cognizant of, you know, their capabilities. And that's why this was such a great paper because it's breaking down those senses and what the horse is actually able to process. And um, the next one of which was equine olfaction. So 
their abilities to smell. And basically horse horses have these large nostrils, which we know, but they have a vomeral nasal organ. And this allows easy detection and processing of odors. So the odors are drawn into that nasal cavity and they pass through the olfactory turbinates. Um, and then this vomonasal organ basically discerns what the scents are. If there's an odor of interest, then the horse starts to perform that flame in response. And what that response actually does, so where they're you know, pushing that upper lip up, is it forces air directly into that vomonasal organ to do an even quicker analysis, which I think is just so fascinating. And we see this, like we let horses smell things, you know, it is at the basis of our understanding, you know, through years of working with horses, we would always teach young kids, let them smell your hands, let them smell the brush before you brush them with it. Let them smell the hoof pick. Like it's, it's such a basic that we've already incorporated but it's nice to just reiterate the importance of that because that is a communicatory way that they um, decide basically if something is safe or if it's interesting or if it's exciting. Yeah, and remember we did the, um, I think it was episode six when we first started this back in July, 2020 on how horses could smell fear or they could smell happiness. And that's a good uh, episode. It's a popular episode. So uh, if you get a chance, go back to July 31st, 2020. And um, it is um, on horses olfaction. And that single paper is on them smelling fear or happiness in humans. And, and it's really interesting. Nancy, have you ever, um, I don't know if it was like more of an old wives tale, but heard about blowing back to horses, you know, when they come to greet you and they blow to you. Yeah. You know, I've got one off the track that every evening he sticks his nose out towards me for me to just blow towards his nostrils and he yeah. loves it. And now I've got my mayor loves it, but then I thought, I, I wasn't sure then, you know, reading through this, they said that's how they obviously communicate together. But I wondered, was it something that other people have experienced as well? Yeah, I, I've got one out of, you know, and it's the two geldings that like that. The mares really, you know, they can take it or leave it. But I had an, an old timer tell me that to do that one time. And I tell you that one, he just loves it and he stretches his neck out as far as it will yeah. go to reach toward me. And that's his signal to me, blow in my nostrils. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> but yeah, every time we greet my mayor does it. That is some, that's, I'm glad to hear you have one too, Kate, because I'm always like, he's a goofball. He always wants me to do that. I was wondering if it was something I ate that, you know, they can smell, but by late at night, there's nothing I've yeah. drank, you know, only drank is water really. So it can't be that it's gotta be, he really looks forward to that. Yeah. So, but anyway, I thought that was Yeah. And I think it's just the intention, you know, the moment of bonding with it is, um, yeah. it's just really nice. It's a very individual one-on-one -on -one 
they're getting your whole attention. Yeah. So, but uh, look up that episode six uh, for more information on um, that, uh, that they can actually detect human odor. Um, That sense of smell is key. And I guess as a prey animal, it would have to be so for their survival. And the next one then that we're going to move on to is equine hearing and vocalization. So horses obviously don't have a large vocal repertoire. When we think about animals, um, parrots will obviously have one of the largest vocal repertoires, but they Mm -hmm. can transmit information and social intentions through vocalizations. And the vocalizations they make as well will convey information about them. So it can convey the sex, the size, and the reproductive status of the caller, which is quite cool particularly size for that to be able to be conveyed through a sound and really fascinated me but obviously horses sorry go on Nancy um I was gonna say that um you know you have some too that you never really hear much out of them you know I've got one that's very vocal and will nicker and scream even when he gets all excited he starts running around the pasture yelling and you know then you've got some that are so quiet you hardly ever hear anything out of them yeah my mayor wouldn't be very vocal like you would get the odd nicker out of her when um you're feeding her if you're bringing hay or something like that but it's always kind of Mm -hmm. more of a low quiet one um the only times yeah. I think I've ever you heard know. her like loudly whinnying is if we've like had her away from the field and we're bringing her back and she's kind of calling out um to the other horses but she otherwise she yeah. wouldn't be very um my pony the same way Kate not very vocal so um that was that's kind of something they don't pick out in this uh paper but they do say emotion and arisal are individually encoded within their acoustic qualities as well as a vocalization so that would make sense that it would be more of a an individual thing with them but um The next thing was horses in human presence. And I think the thing that caught me the most was the gaze, especially the left eye versus the right eye gaze. Uh, That is fascinating to me. And, And I'm going to notice that more often because I've noticed through the years, you'll be, you know, you'll see their left eye And then sometimes it can be extremely soft, but then you'll look in the other eye and it'll be a little hard looking. You know what I mean, Kate? Yeah, like they're they're kind of giving you more of a side eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think over here we call it the stink eye, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, now they've got research out that says, hey, if you're getting that right eye gaze, that's a positive sign. If you're getting the left eye gaze, that's kind of more, they're not really on the same page as you are. They're you know, it's not a good sign. It's more of a negative sign. So that fascinates me. I might have to look up that paper and see how recent it is. And maybe that could be another episode just solely on 
right eye gaze versus left eye gaze. Yeah, I thought that was really cool where they said, because it's something we can actually now with this knowledge, you know, look into and test. And like you said yourself, you'll be more aware of it going forward because the left eye gaze has been repeatedly associated with fear-inducing situations. Um, and horses can not only recognize and understand our facial expressions, but they can remember these emotional expressions. So that's where we're coming into the yard annoyed or angry or we're storming about the place. And I say we, but I, I have to hold my hand up and say I don't do that because I'm very conscious of behavior and the energy we give off to them. I know they're incredibly sensitive to it. And I do think it's unfair for us to come in um, with that kind of energy. Um, and it does, we now know it puts them in a stressful situation, but they'll remember that facial expression. Yeah. They'll remember the emotional expression. And horses will basically build a portfolio of who you are in their head by compounding all these little memories of what you're doing and their interactions with you. So it's almost like they add them up together and they hold I, on to that. Um, which I think just makes it even more important again, that we're very cognizant about our interactions with them. If they are giving us this left eye gaze, you know, can we relax our posture? Can we call out to them gently? Um, can we offer them you know, a nice bit of a treat or something um, or try and just kind of turn that interaction more positive to make them relax a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point because they did say it could be the quality of the work, um, which would include the environment like you're saying, you know, but I thought it was uh, fascinating that they can kind of pick out PTSD uh, survivors or people who have PTSD mm -hmm. and because when that person came up to them, their heart rate increased. So it's like they were almost a mirror for that human's emotions. I think that's yeah. absolutely, um, you know, a research we need to do more on because maybe they have that counter effect to PTSD survivors or people who have that because so many of them go into those equine therapy programs. I think there's so, so much that equine therapy programs provide and they really, um, I don't think they're delved into enough. It's something we could talk about more on another episode, but the... Yeah. The difference that animals make to people, I mean, everyone listening to this obviously knows because they're in some way have been affected by um, a horse. And if not a horse, you know, maybe another pet in your household. But I think it was, it's fascinating the cognitive ability that these horses have. Because in one example as well, they showed the horses a picture of um, a human that was displaying either a happy or an angry face and then they actually brought that person and allowed that person to um, be around the horse and assess what the horse's behavior was so when the, the person from the photo with the angry face was introduced to the horse the horse showed more displacement 
um, behaviors such as scratching, sniffing, licking and chewing. And they looked for longer at the person. So they gazed for longer. Um, so they can even discern that from a photo, because in that sense, when we're using a photo, we're taking away their capability to pick up on emotions through their olfactory senses or through their auditory senses as well. We're just showing them an expression and they're computing that it's negative. Yeah. And that reminds me of that episode we did where they watched a, a video and then that same person came up to them and they reacted in the same way. Remember that episode? Um, we didn't use the same paper yeah. they did, but it was the same hypothesis that they did react to the uh, people in the video as if they had been with them in person. They recognized. Um, so that's interesting as far as their cognitive ability goes. And did you have any more than on that section, Nancy? No, I forgot, though, to mention in the vocalizations that we did the one episode on the baby talk or the pet talk, pet directed talk. Oh, yes. And so look up that episode because horses did respond to kind of the higher pitched talk we would use with our dogs and cats. So um, we called it baby talk on that one episode. And it did seem like it calmed them down and they had a little bit of a, of a positive response from that. So uh, check that episode out. Now go through our episode list and put links to all of the topics that we're covering today that we have a single episode on it from the past. Oh, brilliant. That'd be great. So then that way you can kind of pick what area you find most interesting, I suppose, and delve into a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. The yeah. next so, one then was equine affective or emotional states. So this was um, looking at the horse themselves and the horse's face is a great source of information. And we have mentioned hundreds of times by now uh, pain scoring using yeah. horses' facial expressions. And if you're still new to pain scoring or if you've heard Nancy and I say it every time and forgotten. This is your reminder again to look up an equine um, pain score because they do make very distinct facial expressions if they are experiencing pain and their faces. Once you become, I suppose, more in tune to the facial expressions they make, you you couldn't possibly miss it. But being new to horses um, or new to I suppose the equine industry, it's an invaluable tool to have in your back pocket until you get more accustomed to reading their faces. Yeah, good, good point, Kate, because I think what some people call it the equine grimace scale, others call it a pain mm -hmm. scale, but definitely well worth watching the videos and really becoming good at, at pointing that out and pointing those attributes out that they'll show you and, and you'll see it. And most owners know their horses well enough, you know, something's just not right. And equally, you recognize better when they're in that happy state. Um, one of my favorite faces that they make is that kind of 
summer lull when they're out in the paddock and they have that dopey kind of face when they're resting. Yeah. yeah. So going yeah. through these, you know, use use all the resources that you have at your fingertips. There's so many photos of expressions and and if you're just not familiar with them, it can be a great tool to getting a bit more, I suppose, knowledgeable about equine behavior and doing so even quicker and then getting that contact time necessarily with the horses it means if you're only you know going to a rising club once a week doing a little bit of this prep work during the week means when you go out on that weekend you're kind of a step ahead yeah and and the next uh, group is equine cognition i don't know we've covered a lot on that too i think the biggest takeaway is that um an animal's emotion and their welfare are interrelated. So negative emotions will drive an animal to a solution, while positive emotion will stimulate an animal to seek it more. And I think that's true with horses, don't you, Kate? Yeah, definitely. I think that kind of hits the nail on the head. Yeah. But we have, as Nancy's mentioned, done other episodes that look into cognition a bit more and the effect of environment on cognition too. Yeah. in the training methods, like you're, you know, I tend to use more combined training, which is a mix of negative and positive reinforcement. And, um, you know, unfortunately with horses, they respond to pressure. They respond leg pressure, maybe a little bit of rain pressure. Um, and then your reward or your positive reinforcement is the release and then maybe a scratch that can be associated with that release. So um, anyway, we've got plenty of episodes on that. And if you have any questions, drop us a line and uh, we can answer it more specifically for you. The next one then is emotional transfer between horses and humans. And this one's quite interesting because we see this in dogs where they're sensitive to cues not only from other dogs, but also from humans. And it really does suggest that domestication is potentially influencing this kind of sensitivity. So as horses are domesticated, they may have this potential also. Um, an interesting point they made, though, is that there's a common belief that horses can be intuitive about emotional distress in humans and that they'll act altruistically to basically go out of their way to alleviate the human's distress. Um, however, they don't really have background on that. They're saying that belief may kind of credit the horse with a higher cognitive level than they potentially possess. But there's been work done by Marquis et al. And it demonstrated that behavioral and psychological responses of horses to humans were more pronounced on human experience with horses rather than whether the human was experiencing mental distress. So the studies also proved that, um, or provided evidence that deliberate body movements by those with horse experience make the horse more attentive to them. So where people create a bond with their horse, um, and they might be in emotional distress and the horse reacts to them. It mightn't be the horse's cognitive understanding that 
they're in emotional distress, but rather the horse is in tune to their body language and is reading their body language um, and approaching them. And they have made the point in this paper. I'm not sure if we've already gone through the section that mentioned it or we haven't come to it yet, but horses with single owners will seek out to be that um, to be close to them more than horses of multiple owners. So, you know, in a yard where it's a single owner, yeah, the horse is going to want that closeness and that attachment. Or if there's a yard where there's several, you know, people that care for that horse, they're less likely to seek it out. Yeah, they kind of know their special person, you know, um, that's in the next uh, group, which are the next uh, category, which is equine personality and attachment styles. And I thought that was really interesting that they showed that because we did an attachment bond episode where we were reassuring people that you can leave town, your horse will survive as long as they're fed and watered and turned out. <laughs> so. <laughs> but yeah and it's they said it is very clear that we attach so <laughs> we become very attached yeah. to them it's not as clear if horses are to the same level attached to us so we I think we definitely put um, a huge amount of emotion and love into the care we give them um, and it's definitely appreciated but their ability to reciprocate that love we're unsure of um, basically what what their ability is for that, what their cognitive ability is. Um, yeah, I think, don't you think it's individual? And then it's also their temperament and personality too, because racehorses get a lot of attention on the, on the track from their groom. And so then when they go maybe into a large turnout situation where they may be pasture boarded and don't have an individual per se I think it's kind of a an adjustment for them because they're used to that um, micromanagement lifestyle and I always tell people taking horses from off the track just remember we go over them every day with a fine tooth comb and that's what they're used to. So it is an adjustment when you do bring them from the racetrack. They also pointed out that horses do show distress when alone. So this yeah. indicates separation anxiety, but they said that there's no literature basically pointing out distress when separated from a human, as long as other horses are present. So they need that herd behavior and that herd mentality and to feel safe. That's one of their safe havens that they called it. Um, another interesting yeah. one was that horses will approach a novel object more readily if they're led by a human, but it doesn't matter if they know that human or if that human's a stranger. It just appears that they will take um, a stressful scenario and feel safer if a human is leading them through it. It's not reliant on an actual bond. Yeah. Yeah. And we did an, another episode on that, which I've got a lot of links to put up this I week. Know, because will be cut out for you, Nancy. Yes. Remember how the owners and then a stranger led the horse through a maze and how the horse behaved and they measured that. They measured heart rate. 
uh, in, you know, variables, the salivary cortisol and all that. And so I'll put a link to that episode as well. Brilliant. And that was actually the last section within this paper. So now we're basically just on to summarizing the conclusion. And there were a number of key areas that you could take away from this. But they did point out to kind of rounding it back up again to that umwelt is that as equine emotion and cognition are interrelated, they are integral components to the comprehension of the horse's overall well-being, essentially. So as humans, we become increasingly attached to our horses, but it's important to understand equine personality and to understand their true attachment to us. And knowing also that our interactions with that horse is cumulative. So we need to be mindful to keep our interactions positive every time. And that will result in the horse maintaining a better outlook, not only on you, that individual, but also on humans in general. And we see that definitely with horses that are raised um, in very positive um, way or I suppose environments where their needs are met and you compare it with horses that have been neglected or abused that it really does kind of tie in that trust with humans and that is built up over time from experience and how they layer those experiences together to create the picture of what we mean to them. Yep, that's a good way to end it, Kate. And, and I do want to thank, we had three people join us today. It was Trills and Claudie and Jurgens. Thanks so much for listening in. I don't know if you guys are equine enthusiasts or uh, equine sport people, but anyway, thanks for listening in. Um, we appreciate having a little bit of a live audience today. So thanks, Kate, for joining in as well. No problem. And just before we go today, I wanted to take a moment to say a massive congratulations to Nancy, who is now a published author. So Nancy's paper, Dietary Iron Unlikely to Cause Insulin Resistance in Horses, has officially been published in Animals um, on Monday, was it, Nancy? It was yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. Very, so, very new. Yeah. So oh, really, it's congratulations. A, it's so much work. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to review it sometime, you know, and, and go through um, yes. what we found out and why the findings came out the way they did and, and all that. But thanks so much, Kate. It's, it's good to finally get it published. Well, it's a massive amount of work. And um, you've definitely put a lot of heart and soul into getting it done so everyone tune in next week and we are going to discuss nancy's paper if you want to read it in the All meantime right. well, you can pop on to um, that journal animals and just type in the title or you can search by author so that's nancy l mclean and you can have a read through of her paper sounds great well thanks kate for the little promo i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> anytime <laughs> Thanks, Nancy. Talk to you next week. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.